0: Hi, I'm Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. Within the next week, the Catholic Church will be celebrating one of those great Marian solemnities. We have around the corner the solemnity of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. We're going to be celebrating the idea that Mary, at the end of her earthly life, was taken a body and soul into heaven. Some people might wonder, why are Catholics so fascinated with Mary, and why do they think about what happened at the end of her life? Where did they get this idea that she was assumed into heaven? Maybe you have some Protestant friends that may be wondering, where is this in Scripture? Is there any biblical evidence that Mary was taken up into heaven? I didn't read that in the Bible. Where where do you Catholics get this idea? But maybe you've had questions. Maybe you've wondered what this doctrine is really all about, and what difference does it really make? I mean, how does this fit in to the overall plan of salvation? Does it really make a difference what happened at the end of Mary's life? Does it really make a difference for me in my own salvation? I mean, look, I'm I'm just trying to raise my kids and say my prayers and be a good Christian in this secular age. Uh, I, I love Mary and I wish her well, but some might wonder, why does this really make so much of a difference and why would the church hold it up as a great dogma and hold it up as a great solemnity? But we're going to see that this belief in Mary's Assumption makes so much of a difference for our lives today. This dogma is not just about Mary. It's really pointing to something that God wants to do in your life, in your soul, and in mine. And we're going to take a look at that and answer a bunch of questions about Mary's Assumption in this week's podcast. So welcome to All Things Catholic. I'm your host, Edward Sri. And I want to welcome any new listeners that might be joining us. Thank you for checking out the show here this week. Uh, I especially want to give a shout out to any new listeners from up in the great state of Washington. I was up in the Pacific Northwest where they had the Catholic Family Conference, and they had people from all over the state of Washington, from other places. There were people overseas there. There were people from Ukraine and and Vietnam and, uh, and Italy. It was amazing, and, and it was just very edifying. I know the Pacific Northwest is very secular. It's really hard. I have a lot of friends that live up in that area, and they talk about how hard it is to be faithful in a culture that is just absent of religion in in so many ways. And it was just so encouraging seeing so many good Catholic husbands and wives trying to raise their kids well, wanting to build a good Catholic culture in the home. We had a magnificent Eucharistic procession at, at the outset of the conference. It was wonderful to process around the neighborhood where this conference was with our Lord Jesus in the Eucharist. So, I ask all the listeners if you could pray for those faithful Catholics up in the Pacific Northwest uh, as they're trying to live a strong Catholic family life uh, where there's not often a lot of support for that. So, but back to this topic here of Mary's Assumption. You know, I do think it's something that many ordinary Catholics may wonder about. Most people haven't studied a lot about the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And they might believe it, and then they'll go to mass for the holy day of obligation. This year, in the United States, it's not a holy day of obligation. It normally, is, but this year it's not because it is on a Monday, backed up against um, uh, the Sunday. But in any case, I hope you'll go to mass on on this day. It's a great day to celebrate, uh, regardless whether it's an obligation or not. We as Catholics have the opportunity to thank the Lord for this gift of the Assumption, which is an important gift for our spiritual lives today. And it's that connection to what difference this makes for our lives that I want to really hone in on in today's show. But first, let me just set up the idea of the assumption itself. What is the actual teaching? The Catechism, Article 966, talks about how, you know, Mary was without sin. She's the Immaculate Conception. And one of the effects of original sin was the corruption of the body. And so it's fitting. This isn't a clear-cut argument, it's more of an argument from fittingness, that if Mary was without original sin, that she wouldn't suffer one of those curses of original sin, the corruption of the body, that after we die, our bodies go down to the earth and they're going to be corrupted. Mary didn't suffer bodily corruption. It's fitting that she wouldn't do that. So that that's part of what the Catholic Church teaches, that at the end of Mary's earthly life, she was taken up body and soul into heaven. And I just got back from Rome earlier this summer, and there's so many depictions in all the churches of Rome, of Mary being taken up to heaven. You see the angels carrying her up and being pushing her up on the clouds and Jesus eager to welcome her and crown her with a great crown as queen of heaven and earth. So this is a very, very much a scene that is depicted many times in Christian art. It's contemplated in the fourth mystery of the rosary, and it's listed as one of the four Marian dogmas. Did you know that there's four core dogmas that the church proclaims about Mary? Many, many beliefs about Mary, but four core dogmas. Do you know those four dogmas? That Mary was the mother of God. That's the first one, that Mary is the immaculate conception. She was conceived in her mother's womb, full of grace, without the stain of original sin. That's the immaculate conception. Do you know the third one? Mary's perpetual virginity, that she not only conceived of Jesus in her womb as a virgin by the power of the Holy Spirit, she also remained a virgin all throughout her life. The ever virgin one, Mary, that's her perpetual virginity. That's the third Marian dogma. And then we have this fourth one, Mary's assumption. So I want to be clear here. What we're looking at today and what we're going to be celebrating on August 15th is not just a nice little side belief. You know, here's a little, little small dogma in the corner or you're just something on the back shelf over here. No, no, this is something that the church holds up significantly. This is something that we hold is not just a feast day, it's it's a solemnity, the highest of all the feasts. So the church is really trying to draw our attention to this mystery at the end of Mary's life. It's It's not just an obscure doctrine, it's something very important. The church is saying, you wanna look at this, look at this dogma, Look at what happened to Mary at the end of her life. This is really, really important for your salvation. But why? And where is this in Scripture? Well, let's, let's again, we're going to get into why this is so important for our walk with Jesus today. But I, I want to just talk about Scripture really quick. And I just want to just come right out and say there's no explicit proof texts, just as there's no place in the Bible that says the word Trinity, we still believe in the Trinity, just as... There's no place in the Bible that explicitly says Jesus is fully human and fully divine, and yet all Christians believe that. So there's many things, all Christians, faithful Christians, meaning our Protestant brothers and sisters, the the Orthodox Church, and us as Catholics, that we believe that isn't explicitly spelled out word for word in Scripture. Uh, So... But there are some biblical supports for this. In fact, there were other mysterious events that happened to other characters in Scripture where they were taken up into heaven, like Enoch, according to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, he was taken up to heaven at the end of his life. Uh, Elijah, before he dies, he's taken up into a fiery chariot. We read about that in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11. But what I like to think about is how the Scriptures, while they don't give an actual biblical account of Mary's assumption— there's a lot of biblical support for it. There's a certain pattern here. You see, one thing the New Testament does make very clear, and there are many scholars that point this out, even Protestant scholars that, that have pointed this out, that, that Mary is the first disciple. Mary is revealed by God's inspired word as the first disciple in the new covenant era. She's the first one to hear the word of God from the angel Gabriel and receive it and accept it and respond. Let it be done unto me according to your word and her fiat in Luke chapter one, verse 38. She's the first to say yes in obedience to God as a disciple in the new covenant era. And it wasn't just that one time, she remains faithful. She describes herself as the servant of the Lord in Luke 138 and Luke 148. She uh, it remains faithful, keeping and pondering all the mysteries of Christ's childhood in her heart from from the nativity to when he was lost in the temple. Uh, she was the one that said to the servants at Cana, do whatever he tells you. not only is she obedient to God's words, she's encouraging others to be obedient to her son Jesus. And she's one of the few people, faithful there at the cross on Good Friday in John 19, when most of the other apostles ran away in fear, Mary was still there. Mary shows up better than Peter, shows up better than James. You know, she's there by the beloved disciple, St. John and, and Mary Magdalene with Jesus, enduring great suffering with him in his moment of greatest agony on the cross. And we also see her in Acts chapter one, verse 14, after Jesus dies, rises, and ascends to heaven, she's still there with the apostles praying in that period leading up to Pentecost. So from beginning to end, from Nazareth to the cross to Pentecost, we just see Mary as as presented by the New Testament as the first disciple and as a model disciple who remained faithful throughout her life. Now, why is that important? It's because the New Testament promises that all faithful disciples will have a share in Christ's resurrection, in his victory over death. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about this. St. Paul says, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Christ in his resurrection has conquered death. He's conquered sin and the devil. And, and St. Paul describes how Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. In other words, he's the first to rise from the dead, but there are gonna be many others that are going to rise with Jesus. And so you and I are going to share in Christ's resurrection if we're faithful. That's what St. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 12, that if we die with him, we're going to live with him. If we endure, we're going to reign with him. So if we persevere as disciples, this is what the New Testament teaches in many passages. If we persevere as faithful disciples, we will share in Christ's resurrection. Well, who was the first disciple to persevere? It was Mary. And so what we see is that that Mary goes ahead of us. She anticipates the blessings that God wants to give to all of us. So we see that she was transformed by grace at the moment of her conception, but that's a sign that immaculate conception of Mary isn't just a nice, really cool superhero power that Mary has over there. (laughs) You know, no, no, it it is amazing. It is a unique privilege and we should reverence it and honor Mary for this, of course, and thank God for it. But it's not just for Mary, it's there to tell us about what God wants to do in our souls. He wants to transform all of our souls with grace. He does it in one instant with Mary at the moment of her conception, and he will do it over time gradually in our lives as we're transformed by his grace through prayer, through the sacraments, throughout the course of our lives. We're being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another, St. Paul says. But Mary was changed in an instant at the moment of her conception. She was full of grace. So you see how this doctrine of the American conception isn't just about her. It's about, it's pointing to something that God wants to do for us. And so God's showing us, wow, look at what God, look at what I did in Mary. That's what, that's what I'm going to do for all of you. I did it in her in a unique way. You know, it happened all in one instant and she remained faithful perfectly throughout her life. So it won't look the, quite the same, but it—but it's an eschatological sign, the church says, a sign of what God wants to do in all of us. The same is true with the assumption. Mary's assumption isn't just like, wow, she's got that superhero power. She doesn't have to go be buried in the earth. She gets to go up to heaven and be assumed and her body isn't, isn't corrupted and she's glorified. She's participating in the resurrection of Christ all on her own. Well, it's not just for her. It's there to show us what, what God wants to do in us. I'm gonna use an analogy here. True story, just recently we were doing some big house projects um, this summer and I was doing a big landscaping project in the backyard and I wanted my kids to help and it was really hot. It was really hard. It was 100 degree weather, You know, no cloud cover, Just we're just dying out there. Um, and, but to inspire them, I, I got a bunch of popsicles. Kids love popsicles. And, you know, at first I said, Hey kids, come on out. Do you want to ha- come on help, help dad? And not all of them came out. Only, only one or two came out uh, at first. And then we took a little break and we went inside and the two kids came inside with popsicle. The two kids, the two kids that helped me, they were eating their popsicles. And all of a sudden everyone else goes, Hey, well, why, why did they get popsicles? Uh, can I have a popsicle? I said, Oh, well that that's for those that are coming out and helping. And all of a sudden, everybody else like, oh, can I come help? They get their gardening gloves, the little girls come out and they're wanting to pull weeds and other things. And and it was awesome. But what what happened there was the other kids saw the ones that got the popsicle and and their hearts longed for the popsicle and it made them wanna persevere through the heat, persevere through the hard work so that they could get a popsicle at the next break. (laughs) I share that story because it's similar to what God the Father does for us, his children, that he knows that it's hard to be faithful. It's hard to persevere in prayer. We, we get distracted, we get busy, and maybe I, I fall away from my consistency in prayer. He knows it's hard. And he knows it's hard to be faithful and follow all the church's teachings, especially in a very immoral world that's constantly enticing us and saying, look at how much fun we're having. And would life be better if you just did this and you just gave into your passions and we could be tempted, right? And, and, and God knows that it's hard to be faithful and persevere. It's hard to persevere through suffering and trials in the Christian life. It's hard to grow in virtue. It's hard to pursue holiness. Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. He knows it's hard to pick up our daily cross. But he gives us a few encouragements, a few insights into what he's, what he's going to do for us so we can persevere. He shows us in Mary, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. Look at what I did for my mother, the first disciple. Look at how I transformed her by grace. Look at how I elevated her. I, I assumed her into heaven. Look at how she shares right now in the victory over sin and death so profoundly. She's the great queen in heaven. Who she? I've conquered death. Look! Look at what I did in Mary. That's what I want to do in all of you. It's worth it the persevering through the difficulties, through the trials. This is Mary's assumption so much greater than a popsicle. (laughs) It it shows us that that we can be liberated. We can be set free from the enemy. We can be liberated from our passions and our our weaknesses and our sins. And we will share in the resurrection in the life of Jesus Christ. That's what the assumption is there to point out. Look at what I want. I did in Mary. This is what I'm going to do in you. It won't look the exact same way. She was carried up to heaven, body and soul. Her body didn't undergo corruption, but, but it's a sign of what I will do in you, even though you will die someday, and even though your body will be buried in the ground and the worms will eat it and your body will undergo corruption, you will rise on the last day. You will rise. Death is not the last word. Jesus is saying, I've conquered death. Look at what I did in Mary. This is what I'm going to do for you at the end of time. If you're faithful, if you persevere, you will rise in glory. It is worth all of the battles and the struggles. Persevere in prayer. Persevere in being a good mom and a good dad. Persevere in living the church's teachings on chastity. Persevere in in standing up for, for human life in a culture of death. It is all worth it. That's what this dogma is about. I, I wanna give you one other biblical example here. And this one's really fun. I wrote a book. Many of you may know a few years ago, based on all the research that I've done throughout the years on all the Marian passages of the Bible, it's called Rethinking Mary in the New Testament. I'm going to share a little insight from that book. But in this book, I examine every little New Testament reference to Mary, every little data point, just a simple word like hail, a whole chapter just on the word hail, a whole chapter just on the word full of grace, a whole chap- a chapter just on the words do whatever he tells you. So it's really in-depth mining every little biblical data point related to Mary to show that the Bible tells us a lot about Mary. <laughs> she may not appear in a lot of passages, but in the passages in which she appears, every word is charged with great meaning, with prophecies from the Old Testament, connections to other New Testament passages, and it, it's it, there's so much there. So it's called Rethinking Mary because most people don't think the Bible tells us that much about Mary. Even many Catholic biblical scholars say, oh yeah, the Bible doesn't give that much attention to Mary. Well, no, no, no. I want us to rethink Mary in the New Testament and see there's so much there. Here's one little example I want to share with you. So it comes from the the book of Revelation. You may know the story. In Revelation chapter 12, there's this image St. John has of the heavens opening, and he sees the woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and the stars, uh, 12 stars on her head. And traditionally, we've, as Catholics, understood that as Mary. And I think there's good biblical evidence for that because the passage goes on in Revelation chapter 12, verse 5, to tell us that this woman gives birth to a male child who will rule the nations with a rod of iron and will sit on a throne in heaven. Well, who is this child that rules the nations with the rod of iron? That That's an image taken right from Psalm chapter 2, verse 9 a messianic prophecy about how the Lord's anointed one, the Lord's Messiah, will one day rule the nations with a rod of iron. And so that that's St. John basically cutting and pasting from Psalm 2, the messianic psalm, and basically saying the woman is giving birth to the Messiah. The Messiah is reigning as king now. And indeed, the next image is this son is taken up to a throne in heaven. Which son is taken up to a throne in heaven? Well, I only know of one. That's that's Jesus. <laughs> Jesus in his ascension goes up to heaven and sits at the right hand of the father. So clearly the woman in Revelation 12 is the woman who gave birth to the Messiah and what woman is that? That's Mary. <laughs> of course, it's the Blessed Virgin Mary. Now, if I had more time, I would talk about how you could see how this could relate to Israel, it could relate to the church as well. But first and foremost, this woman is clearly Mary. But for our purposes, in terms of looking at the assumption, listen to this. Revelation chapter 12, verse 6 tells us that the, the dragon figure, which is Satan, is trying to, to attack the woman now. And the woman flees to the wilderness, and she goes to a place prepared by God. Now again, this might just seem like a small little detail—a place prepared by God. But if you were in my class right now and you had your Bibles opened up, I would tell you to to underline that word "prepared" in Revelation chapter twelve verse six, or circle it or highlight it—the word "prepared" because that particular Greek word uh, "hetoimazo" is, is is an eschatological word. In other words, it's a word describing uh, something about what God wants to do for His faithful disciples, how God prepares. Great blessings for his disciples. Uh, For example, in Matthew chapter 20, it says that the Father prepares seats at Christ's right hand and left hand for those who are faithful. Similarly, in Matthew chapter 25, God is preparing the kingdom for the sheep at his right hand. St. Paul uses the same word as well. He talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, about how the things God has prepared for those who love him. This idea of prepared. It's about the things God is preparing for the faithful ones, preparing a kingdom for them, preparing a seat at Christ's right hand and left hand. So when we see this word prepared, we should be thinking about, oh, so Mary's good, the woman Mary is going to a place prepared. By God. So it's it's a heavenly place. It's one of the great rewards for a disciple. Now, here's the really cool thing, all right? So if you don't remember anything else from today's podcast, give me your best attention right now, because I want to share with you something else about Revelation chapter 12, this place prepared. There's another time in John's writings where John talks about a place prepared. <laughs> and so he uses it in Revelation twelve six in reference to Mary. Mary flees to the wilderness, to a place prepared by God. And he also uses it in John chapter 14, at the Last Supper, before Jesus died, he says to his disciples in the farewell discount, in the farewell discourse, in John 14, verses two through three, in my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Jesus talks about how he's going to prepare a place for his disciples that he this is the night before he dies he's a, he's about to be betrayed in the garden of gethsemane when they leave the upper room he's going to be betrayed he's going to be, they're going to see him be killed he's going to rise he's going to ascend to heaven and he's going to go to prepare a place in the heavenly temple for his disciples and so he says i will go prepare a place for you and then he goes on and says and when i prepare a place for you i will come again and i will take you to myself for where i am there you may also be. This idea of a place prepared. Jesus uses that language twice in the farewell discourse to describe how he's going to heaven and he's gonna prepare a place for his disciples, for the faithful ones. And what do we see in Revelation chapter 12, six? We see Mary in heaven fleeing and she goes to a place prepared by God, a place prepared. In other words, a share in the heavenly temple a share in the Father's house where Jesus is going to prepare a place. In other words, Jesus wants all faithful disciples, those original disciples at the Last Supper and all the disciples through the rest of time, faithful disciples like you and me. He's going up to heaven to prepare a place for us in heaven, for all faithful disciples. But who's the first one to get to go to that place prepared by Jesus? It's Mary. I think Revelation 12, six is one of the most underutilized passages that can help support the idea of Mary's assumption. Again, I don't, I don't want to use this as a proof text. I don't want you to think of it that way. But it fits this wonderful pattern that Mary goes ahead of us, what, what God does in Mary is anticipating what God wants to do in all faithful disciples. Jesus is going to prepare a place for all faithful disciples in heaven. And who's the first person in the Bible revealed to go to a place prepared by God? The exact same language, it's Mary in Revelation chapter 12, verse six. Isn't this awesome, my friends? The Bible is just so cool. I know we've covered a lot here. Uh, So if you wanna learn more about this, uh, check out my book, Rethinking Mary in the New Testament. Uh, Go to the last chapters on Revelation chapter 12 and you'll see me uh, getting into the, the nuances and the details and the Greek words there. There's so much in this. I just want you to have confidence that even though there's not, an explicit biblical scene about Mary's assumption. There's a lot of biblical support for it, but most of all I want you to see that what God does in Mary, these great gifts, like the Immaculate Conception, or in this case, the Assumption, this isn't just for us to admire Mary from afar. Wow, that's really cool what God did for Mary, but that doesn't relate to my life. (laughs) No, no, no. I want you to see it is all part of God's plan of salvation. Jesus is showing us something so much greater than a popsicle, like I did for my kids. (laughs) Uh, You know, I showed them the popsicle and then everyone else wanted the popsicle. No, no, this is so much greater. God is going to free us from our sins, free us from all of our hurts and uh, all of Satan's controls over us. He's going to liberate us. He's even going to free us from death. And we're going to share in his resurrection and life. And he did it in Mary. And he shows us really clearly, look here, this is what I did in Mary. And I'm going to do it in you gradually over time in a different way. But it's to give you hope that the battles you're facing today the struggles you're facing right now in your marriage is worth fighting for the struggles you're facing raising one of your kids right now is worth fighting for the struggles you have with depression right now and going to counseling and 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 seeking good spiritual counsel is worth it it's worth to keep fighting the struggles you're having in prayer the struggles you're having in your your moral life you know losing your temper or falling into to lust whatever it is all of those struggles are worth fighting for Because if we persevere like Mary, like St. Paul, if we fight the good fight, we finish the race, there is a crown in heaven awaiting us. Mary got that crown at her assumption. We will share and get that imperishable crown if we persevere in faith all the way to the end of our lives. Thanks for listening, my friends. And uh, if you have any questions, you can always reach me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can find me on my website, edwardsri.com. That's edwardsri.com. And if you want to learn more about Mary in the Bible, you can check out my book, Rethinking Mary in the New Testament. Thanks so much, and God bless.